they found it funny. But anyway, we'll, we'll see how that goes. If anybody would like to have a copy of the sermon in digital form, I'd be happy to send it to you. All I need is either your email address or a phone number that I can text it to. I'd be happy to do that. Um, it's amazing what you can do these days with, uh, with technology and telephones. I, I just, who would have thought it? <laughs> I remember once I bought my, my folks one of those wall phones, you know, that <laughs> it looked really nice in the house, you know, one of those old, old phones that you had to pick up a piece and you speak into it, listen to it with an earpiece. And I, I thought they were beautiful, uh, beautiful pieces of furniture. And uh, it actually worked. But you can't do that anymore. We went from rotary dials to push buttons uh, to now you just tell your phone to call somebody. <laughs> just amazed at the technology even in our lifetimes. It's amazing how this world has changed, isn't it? And, uh, but I want to tell you that the change, as dramatic as it has been, for us in our lifetime is nothing compared to the change from going from this life to heaven. Let me tell you something. When we go to heaven, it is going to be absolutely amazingly beyond what we could ask or even think. And I, I think that's just one of the greatest uh, 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 blessings that, that we can have, to know for sure that uh, we're not going to spend our lives, uh, future, in the unknown, but we are going to be with our Savior forever. Isn't that the most amazing thing? The most comforting that when we face whatever trials in this life, we know that when this life is over, there's a better life waiting for us. And that, that, that's part of the, the, the great amazing, most wonderful promises that Jesus gives us. And even in the Beatitudes, you know, he talks about the kingdom of God. He's always talking about two aspects of that. How do we experience the kingdom of God here and now? But also, he talks about that kingdom that we're going to enter when this life is over. And, uh, and I, I, I wonder sometimes how people manage who don't have any faith. I wonder how folks can, can cope with the struggles that this life brings when, when they don't know a loving God who cares for them. And it amazes me even when Jesus was here on earth and he would, he would confront people with, with the beauty of knowing your sins forgiven. How many, there, there are no other religions in this world that can let you know here and now that your sins are forgiven and that God isn't mad at you anymore and that you can know for sure in your heart of hearts, on the inside, in your knower, on the inside, you can know for certain that you will spend eternity with God. There's no religion that can offer that. No other religion in the world. Uh, everybody talks about what you have to do to get in God's good books, but we're talking about what God did to put us in his good books. You know, it's, it's an entirely different approach. Isn't it wonderful, 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 wonderful that when we gather together, we, we're sitting there saying, 
We know something that God has done for us that nobody here deserved. He did something wonderfully good for us, and no one here deserves it. <laughs> In Sunday school this morning, we were talking about, you know, redemption, the first Adam, second Adam, and stuff like that. And I, I'm sitting there going, we think of in terms of of we've done certain things that are bad and God's going to forgive us of our sins. And then we think about how, you know, we, we've got to live a good life after that. And we have to work at doing a good life. We've got it wrong. And, and I sit there and I, I cringe when I, I feel that because it's not, that's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. You see, we were sinners by nature. So sinning, it was the natural thing for a sinner to do. We've got a dog, and that dog, by nature, does things. You know, that's the nature of the dog. And he's not going to change his nature, because that's who he is. And we, we committed sin, and, and there are sinners that do good things. And there are saints, Christians, good Christians, who make mistakes and do some bad things. It's not a matter of doing things or not doing things. It's a matter of your nature on the inside. Who are you? Who is your father? Have you been born into a new family? Is there something drastically changing that's changed in your life? See, the, the question isn't whether as a sinner I do good things and therefore I'm a good person. No, your focus, your nature is a sinner. But when you are born again, you are born to a new nature. When you are saved, your sins are taken, not just the individuals, but the nature, the sin nature that you have is removed from you and you are given a new nature and you start off like a baby without learning all over again. Who is my father in heaven who has now become my father and I am a partaker when our children were born, I remember holding my babies in, in, in my arms and, and, and I'm thinking, oh, this is incredible. This came out of me. You know, I had some, well, it came out of what we had. We, we had something to do with it. <laughs> had something to do with it. This, this is incredible. But, but you see, when we're born again, we're born of... The Father in heaven. We're not born out of the will of men, out of, out of the desires just because we think it. It's God who has initiated an event in our lives that we start all over as children, his children, who are called the children of God. It's a whole different ballgame. It's, it's, it's when the dog becomes a person. That's a change of nature. When my nature is changed and I become a partaker of God's divine nature, then what's inside of me, what's in my, in, in my being on the inside is different 
from the way I used to be. When I, before when I sinned, I didn't think twice about it. Telling lies, it was natural. It was easy. Didn't deal a whole lot with guilt because you see that the thing was, that's the way everybody does things. And so I lived like everybody else. When I got saved and I started to do things like lying, the Holy Spirit says, that's not who you are. And suddenly I feel guilty on the inside. I'm going, wait a minute. I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't plan this. So suddenly my life is under the control, the authority of a heavenly father who in his graciousness teaches me a whole new way to live. And the beautiful thing is that those who have been born again, the life that we get, we will never taste death. Never. None of us. If you know Jesus, if you've been born again, you will never taste death. Never. Is, does that grab you as being absolutely incredible that God has given us that kind of knowledge that we might know him? We have the ability to know him as a loving, gracious father as his children? That's amazing. I'm sitting there going, oh, oh my goodness. People... People in other religions have no idea, no concept of that at all. When they think of God, they think of this mean guy up in heaven who's going to punish them for all the wrong things that they've done. And maybe if they've done enough good things, it'll balance out the old things. And perhaps if, if we do something really good, then he will accept us maybe into his heaven. We hope so. Think about the difference between what I just said about being born again and having a knowledge of who God is, knowing that I'm his child, knowing that I'm safe and secure in his arms and will spend eternity with him compared to somebody who doesn't know. <laughs> we can know a lot about God and still not know him. You know, all these People going around that are campaigning right now, they want us to know certain things about them. We don't know them that well. But they tell us what they want us to know about them, how wonderful they are. And so everybody's talking about how wonderful they are. And we may know a lot of things about all these people out there. But let me just say, has anybody ever met Donald Trump? I gotta keep my hands down. No, I haven't ever met Donald Trump. I, I don't know him. He never invited me to the White House to have coffee with him. Not once. <laughs> I mean, there's a difference, you see. And so many times we know things about God, but do we know Him? And He says, you know, I, I want I want to sit down and spend time with you. And that's the difference. Well, I, I got excited about that because you see the entrance into the kingdom of God obviously the things that Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes here is a critical important aspect of us getting to know who God is and what he's like and you have you have all these things from religious aspects that have said this is 
This is what we assume that God is like. And Jesus is coming out and saying, I want to tell you something about who the Father is. I want to tell you something about who is qualified to be a part of his family. And we went through that. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the, king, the kingdom of God. It's theirs. I mean, that, blessed are the ones who, who, who are cast aside that people don't look at. Why? Because they're the ones in their desperation say that they know that they need a Savior. They're the ones who know that they need somebody that's going to be uh, on their side and they can't make it on their own. Blessed are those who hunger now. Do you hunger to know more about Jesus? What's going to happen if you do? <laughs> You'll be satisfied. Isn't that interesting? If you start getting hungry to know who Jesus is and who your Father in heaven is, and, and you want to know him, he's going to satisfy that kind of desire in your heart. You know, blessed are you when people hate you because of the Son of Man. In that day, leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven. Think about that. <laughs> Those are the people who have access. And then he goes on to talk about what is life like on the inside of the kingdom? What are the kingdom attitudes that we have? And, and I, was, I, I keep thinking about that. I was wondering why were these qualities of life chosen? If I, if I look back at verse 35... This is just before we start today's lecture, uh, lesson. It says, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Now, I'm sitting there going, this is, this is interesting. God is kind, we looked at that last week, to ungrateful and evil men. <laughs> it blows me away. But that's who the Father in heaven is like. Why did he choose these three things? I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I can come up with all kinds of core values that are going to describe what the kingdom of God is like. But why does he talk about loving enemies, doing good, and lending? Why does he pick those three? And I, and I started asking Jan about that. I started asking my daughter Naomi. I said, tell me, why would this be so critical that in the first sermon that we hear Jesus preach, that when he talks about the values and the character of people who are in the kingdom of God, why does he choose people, these three things, loving your enemies, doing good, and lending without expecting in return. Why does he pick that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me that I start asking those kinds of questions. I figure if I don't ask the question, God's not going to give me an answer. <laughs> and I'm just going to sit there thinking, oh, well, that's interesting. But, you know, why does he choose those three? And uh, I started to think about it. And I thought, you know, when somebody is my enemy that I don't like, 
somewhere in the middle of that, there's this understanding that I am better than they are. You see, the foundation of having enemies is that I'm better than who they are. And I've immediately put this judgment between me and them, and I look at them and I think, they don't measure up. I don't like what they do. I don't like how they think. I don't like how they act. They are my enemies because I am better than who they are. Does that make sense? And the minute that I start saying that somebody is my enemy and I'm not interested in them, I want to annihilate them. Get me, don't get me wrong. Please, don't get me wrong. We're talking here right now about individuals and we're talking about individuals sitting here. I'm not talking about what governments have to do to protect their countries. That is something that's entirely different. Okay? There's a God-given understanding of why God has governments in, in countries and what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be protecting their citizens, providing the freedom for us to, to worship God in, in liberty and in truth. We're there as a protection, and it's different when we're looking at, and every country has this. Every country has their own rights to self-government, and they have the right to protect their country, and, and they do that. Okay, now that's something that is part of a political system. I'm talking now about individuals that are going to enter into the kingdom of God. And, and so we've got an entirely different approach here in what we're looking at. We're look, those are two different, two different kettles of fish. I am very grateful for the armed forces and for those who've served. Al, Albert, were you in... No, you didn't serve. I, I know that Bill served. Did you serve, Marvin? Yeah, I, I lost the lottery too. I, <laughs> when Nixon moved over to a lottery system, I was in college and, and uh, I, I lost. I've lost every lottery I think I've ever been in. So I <laughs> but the, the thing is this, that I am very grateful for all the men. We have a son who's a Marine and, and I, I am so grateful. Uh, for the service that they render. Don't, don't misunderstand me. When it comes here to learning to love my enemy is how do I see other people in the light of God having created them? Regardless of what color their skin is, regardless of what language they speak, regardless of how their cultural background is vastly different to mine, their worldview is different to mine, because at that point, I have no right to be proudful. They are as much sinners as I am. The sin nature is common to every single person that's born. And God wants none to perish, but he would like everyone to discover eternal life. And that's not going to happen if I think I'm better of, from somebody else because of whatever issue I put out there to say that my pride is better than anybody else's pride. 
So what has Jesus done here? He has taken a look at one of the first and major sins of mankind, and he's put his finger on it. What happens in terms of hating people comes from my pride. And he touches it, says, love your enemy. Now, I don't know about you. I do know about me, but that doesn't happen on my strength. I need divine intervention when it comes to loving my enemies. I, I, I can't just wake up in the morning and start loving people that, that have really done me wrong. I, I, it's wrong. I can't do it. I have to have... God intervene in my life. When it, comes, when it comes to the issue of doing good to those who persecute you, doing good to people who speak evil of you, what's he touching there? He's touching our anger. He's, he's pointing out what happens, you see, when, when people do things that we perceive are unjust to us. They, they have mistreated us. They've not done us well. And then we want to have, have our, our, our own retribution. We want to get back at them. We are responding in anger. There's wrath. That's not who God is. He will ultimately judge people who turn Jesus away. Yes, he will. But until then, his patience is there because he wants people to be saved and changed from that sin nature into the divine nature. He, he doesn't get upset because we get mad. Now, but when he sees that wrath controls our lives, then he's putting his finger on it. He says, you can't expect to be in the kingdom of God with any kind of, of excitement if that wrath is a part of who you are. <laughs> There's a real need here for forgiveness. Then the third one is lend without expecting anything in return. What's he touching there? Our greed. He touches, puts his finger right on our greed. He's not coming out and saying, don't be greedy, don't be angry, and you know, don't be prideful. <laughs> he comes out and he says, these are the things that are so radical and so different to the way people live. This is a completely different way of living. Now, we come down to, to the next section in this. It says here in verse 30, verses 37, 38, do not judge. This is the first time where he actually comes up with some things where he says, don't. <laughs> you know, we, we, we tend to think of, of uh, Christianity as being a religion of do's and don'ts <laughs> when that's not really the case, except for here. And here he's saying, don't judge unless you want to be judged yourself. And we struggle with that, don't we? 
I don't know about you. I do. I, I, I struggle with how I try to put people in boxes and, and everything else instead of finding ways to be conscientious and loving and, and grateful. Uh, like I said, even saints, people who have the divine nature, uh, do things that are wrong. <laughs> and so when that's the struggle, I need divine help. I need to pray about that. I need to ask God. I need to say, Lord Jesus, I need help with this. And because I'm his son, or you're his daughter, <laughs> he will hear and answer that kind of prayer. That becomes a very real issue that we're talking to our Father about that touches the way we live. And you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? Here and now, it's that relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father in the here and now, not just when we get to heaven. We start it here and we just keep on going. It won't stop. That relationship doesn't end. It began for eternity when we asked Jesus to come into our lives. It goes on. Judgment, condemnation, and pardon. This isn't the focus on our judicial system. Okay? It, sometimes we, we get this wrong. We, we, we tend to think don't judge means that we've got to get rid of um, you know, our judges and our prosecutors and defenders and lawyers. I don't know, maybe the world's better off without them. I don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. My son's a lawyer yeah, but <laughs> and a prosecutor, <laughs> for which I am very grateful. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's not talking to lawyers. He's not talking to the judges. He's talking in this case, in this instance, to people who are following him. And he's saying, this has got to be your attitude that we don't judge. We're not going to condemn people. You don't say things to people like, go to hell. <laughs> you don't say, you're cursed. That's not what we do as Christians. <clears throat> He's addressing disciples with personal attitudes that are, and he's pointing out uh, he points to our basic attitudes of self-preservation, being right and wanting to think more of ourselves or less of ourselves than we should. Those are the things that concern us, being right preserving our, the walls around our lives to protect our hearts from being hurt and from being upset. Those are the things that, that we tend to do. And, and, and we're, we often think either more or less of ourselves than we ought to. Sometimes we think less when we don't know that we're children of God. And sometimes we think more because we're not being humble in walking with God. Now, in order for our lives to be well-balanced, Jesus points out, don't do these two things, do this one. 
don't judge, don't condemn, pardon. And then he throws this thing in that I love. Give and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men pour, give into your bosom. And I've loved that and I have taught that for years. Basically, to missionaries, teaching them that if they will take money and give money into missions that God is going to return a greater reward of finances into their lives. And I still believe that. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll share a bit about, more about that in just a minute. In studying for this, though, that wouldn't be right within the context of what he's been saying. He does say, not to be greedy, lend, don't expect anything in return. But what he is looking at is a basic heart attitude that deals with giving. That the nature of giving within the life of a Christian, regardless of what it is that you give, is going to bring back an even greater return. If you give love, you're going to receive love. If you give grace, what are you going to get back? If you give mercy, what are you going to get? If you give pardon, what do you get? Suddenly, I'm beginning to understand that at the foundation of the kingdom of God, it's not just about money, it's about an attitude of giving and giving of ourselves. And then I look back and I take a look at Jesus. And in the life framework of this, just think about this for a minute. Jesus says, don't judge, don't condemn, pardon and then we look at Easter and we look at what happens on Good Friday and he is being judged by people who have no right to judge him. He is being condemned for having done nothing wrong. And when they nail him to a cross, what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them. They haven't a clue what they're doing. He takes this that he's teaching his disciples and he lives it with his life. He doesn't speak a word to Pilate. He says, you know, are you the king of the Jews? He says, well, you said it, not me. I mean, he said, well, he, he is not putting up a defense. He's not hiring the best lawyers. He's not doing any of that. And he's not condemning the very people who he has healed and touched and taught and who are suddenly, because they've been paid off and bribed, shouting, crucify him. And he walks through their midst carrying a cross on his bloody back. And as he rolls up to the top of Mount Calvary where they nail him to a cross, the words that he has to share is, Father, forgive them, pardon them. He's not asking us to do what he doesn't do. He lives the message of what the kingdom of God is about. You want to know what life is like in the kingdom of God? Take a look at Jesus who is the king in the kingdom. 
That is powerful. That is powerful. Now, I'm going to come back when we, when I grew up or when we traveled to what you would call third country nations or developing nations around the world. They have marketplaces. And when you go into the marketplace, they have, you know, like the vegetables and the fruits. They would have little baskets. And they would put the fruits in these little baskets and then they would pile them up on the outside, make a little pyramid at the top of the basket. And they would, if you would, if you would buy them, they would say, well, this is the bushel, this is the basket amount. And we put the extra on top to make sure you know that you're not being cheated. And then they put all of that into a little bag and sell it to you. And the same would be if you were to buy grain or flour. You see, they wouldn't level off at the measurement. They would heap on enough that it would have to overflow so that you would know you're not being cheated. You're getting that and more for what you are asking for. Now, when he says to these people, he says, if you give, what's going to happen is that the return that God is going to give you is going to be pressed down, shaken together, and then added on the top till it's running over. That's what God's going to give you. And it's going to happen because there are men who are going to put this into your lap. It says, they will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, I love that last part of that verse. Because when, um, when I, I measure my coffee out in the morning, we have this little special coffee spoon that we brought with us from Germany. It's got a deep thing, and you can dig it in. And What's it called? Like a ladle? It's the right measurement. So I, I know that this measurement is for a cup of coffee. And I put it into the, into the uh, filter, and I've got the water, and I'm getting it all set up. And I did it again this morning to get it ready for Jan. Now, we ran out of coffee this morning, and so I went and I got a half cup um, measuring bit. And I went and got a new little tin of coffee out and put it into the coffee that coffee thing that we have in our kitchen so that you know we'd have more for tomorrow and i used a bigger one to ladle it out and put it in when i go to fill up the coffee pot i have a pitcher that carries about 2 liters and i put that into the refrigerator to get filtered water out of that and then once it's full, then I go fill up the kettle and the coffee pot. When I'm out working in the garden, I get buckets to put the water in that I'm going to go and water plants with. When I've got to take away my uh, uh, stuff that I've cut off, you know, when I'm trimming everything, I've got a, a little cart that I bought at Lowe's and I fill that up and I can take it and dump it down in the back end of our house where we have a place where we can put 
our uh, rubbish from the from the garden. <laughs> when the dump trucks come, they come with these great big dump trucks, and they'll take my little thing that I've got with I don't do it. I just put it in the car anymore and take it down to the dump myself and dump it in these big, big containers that trucks come and take away. The measurements keep changing. You see the changes in the size of measurements? And this is what God has said. If you use a measurement, the measure that you give is what's going to be used in terms of the measurement of what you receive. If you take that little one that I use to measure coffee, and I'm going to get maybe 30 back or 60 back, then I've got maybe that much coffee. If I'm using a cup measurement, and I get 30 cups back, if I'm using, you know, two pints, and I'm going to get 30 or 60 pints back for that, then I've got a whole lot more. And so the measurement that I use is what's going to determine the measurement that I receive back. By the time I get to the dump truck and I'm filling a dump truck full of stuff that I'm giving and I get 30 or 60 or 100 dump trucks back, then I have gotten an enormous amount of return. You don't get that on the stock market. And when you start off as a Christian, you start off with the little things. When I first started to go to England, and I, I said, Lord, I'm sitting in Oregon taking care of my grandparents. And I said, how do I get to England when I haven't got any money? And he says, you've got to take a bus from here to Birmingham, Alabama, and I go down to the Greyhound bus station in the town, and they said it's a special offer one way anywhere in the United States, $50. And I said, I'll reserve a seat, and I'll see where I can go get the $50 to come back and pay you. On my way back to the house from going down to get my bus ticket and find out about it, a lady comes out to meet me in the street, said, I was praying for you this morning, and I believe God told me to give you this. And she hands me an envelope, and I look in the envelope, there's $50 in the envelope. I said, thank you, Lord, you want me to go to England. And that wasn't going to get me to England, but it was $50. That was the best investment that lady ever made. When I think about the hundreds of thousands of people around the world that have come to know Christ as their personal Savior because I went when I had nothing and obedience to Jesus and the number of people that we've, Jen and I have invested our lives in who have been saved and sent out from Europe around the world to touch the nations of this world. I'm sitting there thinking that lady has no idea what her $50 accomplished. <laughs> she got a great return. But what she did was inspire my faith. More than giving me $50, she expanded my faith to believe. And so what happens here is that in the issue of working with money, I learned something very valuable, and that is that God works on a matter of faith within this kingdom. 
He can do a lot with a little. And he can do a lot with you when your attitude is, we are going to give. And I learned about giving love or giving grace or giving patience because I started with giving five and ten dollars. And once I saw how that functioned in terms of kingdom reality, I realized that it's more than money. It's an attitude of giving of our hearts and our desires to other people and living for them to benefit greatly. What an incredible thing. You see, money does help when I overcome it and put it in the hands of Jesus. And I say, Jesus, this is yours. This is for you. (laughs) And we learn to give. It becomes who we are, a giving people. And, And whether it's cookies, meals to people, my wife was great whenever we had problems, people were going through issues in their lives and grief and stuff. She was always cooking meals and taking them. It wasn't a matter of money. It was a matter of love. And as we started to see how that functioned, first of all, with money, and we were learning to give 10, 15, 20 dollars, and then we ended up, I remember my, my daughter doing babysitting, and God blessed her so much, and she paid for her sisters to go on mission trips, and she was giving a thousand dollars as a teenager. <laughs> to see the kingdom of God expand. And I thought, I had, I was was getting older before I started to give any kind of money like that. And yet in the excitement of what God starts to do when we are investing in the kingdom and learning to give out of a grateful heart, it touches every aspect of our lives. Every aspect. And that's why when we come to the communion table, that becomes an important aspect. An important aspect. Here we see that God didn't hold back the most valuable thing to him, his own son. He gives. And if he isn't going to withhold his own son from us, but give him for, how, him for us, how much more will he also give us all things that we need? If I believe that my heavenly father loves me so much that he gave his son for me, how can I not believe that he's going to take good care of me and my family? You see, it all comes down to the giving. And when we receive this, we're taking his gift and we're saying thank you. We receive his gift and say thank you. Glenn and and, uh, Bill, would you please come and and, uh, let's pray over this.
Glenn, would you pray over the, uh, the bread? And Bill, would you pray over the cup? Dear Lord, we thank you for this day you've given us. And most of all, we come here